you to better read and understand the Bible. All right, now, hear me out. Christians will want to read and understand the Bible because it's God's primary way of speaking to his people. Therefore, the better you read and understand the Bible, the more clearly God will speak to you. Okay? Are you ready? ready. All right, now, if we're honest, reading the Bible isn't so easy, is it? Right? Sometimes it's hard to understand. Often we read the Bible and we either don't understand it or even sometimes worse, we, we read it and we pretend like we understand more than we do, don't we? Um, in the past, the way that I illustrated this idea was to use uh, magic eye posters. Um, have, do you know what those are, magic eye posters? Some of you do, uh, some of you don't, right? These were really popular in the 1990s, my favorite decade in American history. Um, so have you seen these before? I have an example right here that I printed out. It looks, it looks like this, all right? It looks like this. Here you have on here just a random pattern of, of, of images, right, on here. And they say that if you look at it just right, a 3D image will appear, okay? And they say, you know, that they tell you to kind of, uh, you know, unfocus your eyes and look through the paper. I don't even know what that means, right? But for some people, for some people seeing the images in here, is really easy. Now, from your seat, you won't be able to do it. But for some people, seeing these images are really easy. But for some people, they really have a hard time seeing it, right? That's how it was for me growing up. Um, and so reading the Bible can be kind of like this, right? It seems like maybe for some people, reading it and understanding it seems easy for some people. But for other people, reading and understanding the Bible can be really difficult. Like the whole time you're, you're looking and you're trying to understand, but you don't really see what you're supposed to see, right? You know, many Christians, unfortunately, read the Old Testament especially the wrong way, okay? So instead of seeing glimpses of the gospel throughout, and that's what we'll talk about tonight, they look at the Old Testament more like a, a book of fables or a a book that teaches you morals, like how to be a better person, right? And so you'll see stories about guys like Noah, right? You'll hear about the obedience of Noah. Think about Noah, right? God says, I want you to build this giant ark. It hasn't even rained yet, but I want you for years and years and years to build this gigantic ark, and he does. So despite his, what it seemed like his circumstances were, and despite people making fun of him for what he was doing, his obedience was there. And so what we might hear or read that story and go, be like Noah, be obedient like Noah. Or you might read the story about Abraham, about how Abraham had great faith, right? God says, Abraham, I want you to move to this place you've never been before, and you're going to have kids even though you've never been able to have kids. And so we read that story and we go, here's what you need to do. You need to have faith like Abraham, or maybe courage like David, right? David who's fighting lions. And when David sees the giant Goliath, right? And everyone in the whole nation is scared of him, but not David. He runs out and he kills the giant. And so we look at that story and we go, have courage like David, right? 
Now, at times, maybe we can, but here's the problem with looking at the Bible that way. What happens when you're trying to have faith, and you're trying to be obedient, and you're trying to have courage, but sometimes you fall short? Or maybe time after time after time, you continue to fall short, right? You don't have that faith. You don't have that obedience. You don't have that courage like these heroes of the faith had in this one moment. When we read it like that, and we continually fall short, a lot of us, what we tend to do is we begin to give up. We think, well, this whole Jesus thing doesn't really work for me, right? Maybe I can't do it. But the problem is, is that we've read the Bible the wrong way. And so what we have is, and we know this phenomenon more than most, is that you'll have a lot of people, whenever they graduate high school, they go into college, and then they... they they turn from the church and they turn from Jesus because they think this whole Jesus thing doesn't work for me. I can't do it, right? That's what they tend to do. But the problem is it's not that, you know, it, it's, the problem is it's, it's not that it's not working for them. The problem is, is that they never really knew Jesus in the first place, right? They didn't know how to read and understand the Bible. See, for a lot of us, we come into a room like this and we're all looking for something different, right? We all have different challenges in life. So maybe for you, you know, especially during the school year, maybe you're struggling with school, or maybe, you know, you're struggling in your relationships, or you're having a difficult time with your parents, or you're having a difficult time with, you know, depression or anxiety, or whatever the thing is for you, you're coming in and you're looking for some answers, right? And you're like, God, will you just give me like five steps to how to overcome that problem, right? Don't you sometimes feel that way? Just Give me the, the self-help steps to improve my current life situation, but I want you to see it a different way, right? Instead of maybe like five steps to becoming a better son, like wouldn't you want to know the perfect son, right? So while at times, you know, those, those tips are helpful, man, wouldn't you rather know like the perfect healer, the perfect deliverer, the perfect comforter, the provider, the empowerer, Right? Wouldn't you rather know him than just know some tips for life? Because the problem is, even if you have that, those tips, those good, that, that good advice, the problem that's at the root is always still there. That problem is us. And so what we need is we need Jesus. So I want you to see tonight that the Bible is not a collection of a bunch of disconnected stories written by a bunch of different authors over a couple thousand years. The Bible, from beginning to end, reveals a need that we have for something, or really someone, true and better. And it's Jesus that fulfills, satisfies, and completes it all. So here's the main point of tonight, and you can write this down on your sheet. It'll be on the screen. The main point that we're going to talk about is that the Bible from beginning to end, points to Jesus. The Bible from beginning to end points to Jesus, and I want to show you that. We'll look at three different passages, and with each passage, we'll try to summarize what Jesus says about himself concerning the Scriptures. The first verse, first passage, is found in Luke chapter 24, in verse 27. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, with each verse, with, with each verse we look at, I want to tell you the story behind that one verse. In Luke chapter 24, here's what's going on. There were these two guys that were walking from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. They're walking, they're having a conversation, and then Jesus shows up, and he jumps into their conversation. But the thing about it is, these two guys didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus kept them from recognizing him, okay? And so when Jesus comes up, he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And so they ask a question like, hey, are you the only one from Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? And, and so he's like, well, what happened? And so they begin to tell him, there was this man, he was Jesus of Nazareth, and man, we thought he was this mighty man of God, this great prophet. We thought that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but he was crucified, and there are some reports that he had risen from the dead, and so Jesus is going, oh, really? And so in their disappointment, they're going, yeah, but, you know, he was crucified. In their, dis in, in their disappointment, he says, well, man, didn't you understand what the prophet said, that Jesus would have to suffer so that he could be glorified? And then we have this verse, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, a couple quick points about this verse. When he says, and beginning with Moses, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. He's talking about the Torah. And then when he says, and all the prophets, he's referring to the rest of the Old Testament. So really, he's referring to, at the time, all the scriptures that they had. He's referring to the word of God. So here's point number one on your paper. Jesus says the scriptures are to be interpreted through gospel lenses. Now, I know he doesn't use that terminology, but that's what he's pushing them toward. Interpreting scripture through gospel lenses. So as you read the Old Testament in particular, you want to consider how the story points to Jesus. Consider how He's the true and better version of the character of the story. So here's a pretty common example that Jesus is the true and better Adam. So think about this. So you have Adam who was, he was facing, man, life and joy and full communion with God, right? But he falls short to temptation in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus, he's the true and better Adam, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing pain and suffering and death, facing separation from God, he doesn't fall short to temptation. He's the true and better Adam. You can see how in that story of Adam, it points to Jesus. And whenever Adam does sin and fall short, what does God use to, to cover his sin and shame? Well, he uses an animal sacrifice, right? Well, Jesus is the true and better sacrifice that doesn't just cover one man's shame, but will cover all the sin and shame for everyone who believes, right? He's the true and better sacrifice. That's the way that you want to look at the Old Testament of the Bible. You want to look at the story and see how does that point to Jesus as him being the true and better character of the story. Okay, so that's point number one. Jesus says the scriptures are to be interpreted through gospel lenses. Here's the second passage we're going to look at. It's found in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, it's on your paper. It says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they 
that bear witness about me. So here's the story behind this verse in John chapter 5. It's, it's kind of a neat story. So there's this man that uh, he had been, he'd been crippled for years. And so he would hang out by this pool called the, the Pool of Bethesda. And it was said that every so often an angel would come down, stir up the water, and whoever got in the pool first would be healed. The only problem was for this man, he could never get to the water in time. And so Jesus walks up to this man and he says, do you want to be healed? And so he's like, yes, of course, I want to be healed. And so Jesus says, okay, well, I want you to get up. I want you to pick up your bed, and I want you to go. I want you to walk. So he does it, and he's healed. The only problem with this is this happened on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day in their culture, you weren't supposed to do any work at all. And picking up your bed and carrying it was considered work. And so the religious leaders saw that, and they go up to the man, and they're like, why are you working on the Sabbath? And so he says, well, the guy who healed me, he told me to, right? And so they're like, well, who healed you? And he didn't know at the time who it was. And so finally, they figure out that it's Jesus. So the religious leaders, they go up to Jesus, and they're like, why are you, why are you telling people to work on the Sabbath? Why are you working on the Sabbath, right? You're breaking the commands of God. And he says something that's really controversial. He basically says, well, since my father is working, I'm at work. My father's healing people on the Sabbath. That means I'm healing people on the Sabbath. And the Bible says that not only were they mad that he was doing things on the Sabbath, but now they wanted to kill him because he was claiming equality with God. Right? And so Jesus, in response, he begins to explain some things. And toward the end of John chapter 5, he says, look, you need to understand that it's not just me that's claiming equality with God. It's not just me that's saying, yes, I am the Son of God. There are others that bear witness to me being who I say that I am, right? And so he starts to list them out. He goes, John the Baptist. John the Baptist claims that I am the Son of God. You like John the Baptist. You respect him as a prophet. Well, hey, he claims that I am the Son of God. He bears witness to me. He says also the Father. He's talking about God. The Father bears witness to me. And he kind of gives him a little jab. He's like, hey, but you, you, know, you can't hear the voice of the Father. But the Father bears witness to me. He also says the works that he does, right? The, the miraculous works of Jesus. He's going, you got to consider, I'm doing supernatural things that not everybody can do, right? I'm healing people. I'm feeding thousands of people. I can control the weather, right? These are not things that just anybody can do. And it's not just that they're supernatural because evil demons, right? Like Satan can do supernatural things. It's that they're God-honoring supernatural things, right? So he's saying, my works testify that I am who I say that I am. But then he says one more thing. He says, also the scriptures bear witness that I am the Son of God. The scriptures bear witness about him. That's your point number two. Jesus says, the scriptures bear witness about him. And when he says, you search the scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life. You got to understand, Jesus is not saying that the scriptures don't have the words to eternal life, because they do, right? They point to Jesus. He's telling these people, you think that because you know the Bible, you have eternal life. And he's like, you don't get it. It's not just knowing the words. It's not just knowing the scriptures. It's knowing what the scriptures are all about. It's knowing me. And he tells the people, he looks at them and goes, you don't, you don't know me. You don't glorify me. 
you think because you know some words that you have eternal life. No, but you have to know me. And then he says in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, remember he's talking about the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, if you believed that, you would believe me, for he, Moses, who wrote the first five books, wrote of me. He wrote of me thousands of years before Jesus was alive. Jesus says, no, Moses was actually writing about me. So when he describes creation and he describes the fall and exodus and the giving of the law, the formation of Israel, that is all to point toward Jesus. And so here's the third verse for us to look at. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So here's what's going on with this verse. This verse is found in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So he gets up and he begins to teach to a large crowd of people. Really, ultimately, if you look at it, kind of the difference between religion and following Jesus. Okay? That's, that's what he's explaining there. And if you listen to it and you, you read it, it really it starts to seem like that maybe Jesus is starting something completely new. He says a lot of things like, you've heard it said, but I say. And so it's like, well, is Jesus starting something totally new? Is he saying, don't worry about the Old Testament anymore. Those are in the past. Now you just do whatever I say now. But Jesus clarifies it so we don't feel like he's saying that. He says, and this is point number three, he doesn't abolish the Old Testament. He fulfills it. He doesn't abolish. He doesn't do away with it. He fulfills it. So we have to ask the question, what does that mean? What does that mean? Here's a quote from D.A. Carson. Try to follow. He said, Jesus fulfills the entire Old Testament in many ways. Because they point toward him, he's certainly not come to abolish them. Rather, he's come to fulfill them in a rich diversity of ways. Jesus does not conceive or think of his life and ministry in terms of opposition to the Old Testament, but in terms of bringing to fruition. That's a good way to think about it. Bringing to fruition that toward which it points. So let me explain it this way. Uh, Last year, I was teaching a group of middle school boys, and we were talking through the Ten Commandments, right? And so we began to notice as we were talking through them that really you could kind of divide them up into two groups. Like there were some commandments that talked about loving God, and there were some commandments that talked about how to love people, right? And then Jesus, whenever he was asked, what are the most important commandments? Like, what are the greatest commandments? He sums it up by saying, what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how he sums up. In Matthew twenty-two forty. he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the whole Testament. Loving God and loving people, and loving people. Jesus says that's how you can sum up the entire Old Testament, which only he was able to do. Uh, the book of Hebrews and Romans describes the law, the commands of God, as good. They're not bad things. They're not these things, you know, that, that God decided to do, but that they weren't good, so he changed his mind. No, they're good things, and they had a purpose. 
And the purposes were this, that one, they would restrain evil, right, to keep the people of God from just losing their minds and killing each other, but also, secondly, to reveal their need for a Savior, to show the people that they couldn't follow all the commands of God, that it was impossible for us. So, Jesus does for us, okay? Listen, this is what it means for him to fulfill the law. Jesus does it for us. For Jesus to fulfill the law and prophets means that he fully loved God and fully loved others so much so that although he was perfect, he was willing to be tortured, hanged on a cross, and receive the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. Then when Jesus rises from the dead and the veil separating us from God tore, for those who believe, Jesus' righteousness, his ability to fully love God and others, is imputed or transferred to us. This doesn't mean that you become perfect as soon as you believe and confess Jesus. It just means that now Jesus is committed to continually growing in you a heart that fully loves God and fully loves others. So here's our three points tonight. Jesus says the scriptures are to be interpreted through gospel lenses. Scriptures bear witness about him, and he doesn't abolish the Old Testament. He fulfills it. And so guys, for us in in closing, I just want to show you one really quick example of how you can read a verse and try try to view it through a gospel lens to not see it the wrong way. So a few verses later in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this statement. So I want you to try to think about it. Think about what he's saying. This is verse 20 in Matthew chapter 5. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, you've got to look at this through a gospel-centered perspective. For the hearers in that day, for him to say, your righteousness has to exceed theirs, they would have heard that and felt hopeless. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders. These were professional, like, law obeyers, right? They knew, they had the, they had the first five books of the Bible memorized. They knew all the over 600 commands of the Old Testament They would like add rules to the rules to follow the rules, right? These guys were in their minds, that's what it looks like to to love God and follow God, right? They were the professional, they weren't Christians at the time, but we can view it that way, like the professional Christians. And so when they're hearing, I have to be better than the best, well, that's going to feel hopeless for them. But remember, you got to view this through a gospel centered perspective okay so we don't look at it as okay i'm gonna try harder i gotta be better i gotta be perfect or i can't enter into the kingdom of heaven no what's the only way that your righteousness can exceed theirs it's through jesus it's through jesus doing it for you okay he lived the perfect life you couldn't live he died the death you deserved right and so now only through faith is that righteousness now given to you. So it's only through faith in Jesus that this is true for you, that your righteousness can exceed 
theirs. So that's an example of how we want to view the scriptures through a gospel lens. So remember tonight, guys, the Bible from beginning to end continually points to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we're so thankful for your word. Uh, We're so thankful that um, you revealed to us that from beginning to end, it's all about Jesus in the Bible. And so while sometimes it can be hard to to know how it points to Jesus, um, your Holy Spirit, God, uh, is our teacher. And so we rely on him. And as we study and read, we're going to look for Jesus and we're going to rely on Jesus and our faith is going to be in Jesus. We're not going to put our hope in ourselves or our own good deeds or any of that stuff. We're going to have faith in Jesus. We're going to realize that he's the only way to God. And we cons- when we consider the grace that you give us, and that's just going to, it's going to melt our hearts and it's going to make us want to obey you. And we're so thankful that you're going to give us that ability that as we walk with you and as we grow, you're going to make us more like yourself. It's only by grace through faith. And so I I pray that every time we read the Bible, every time we hear a teaching of the Bible or sermon, whatever it is, I pray that you would help us keep this in mind. We've got to constantly look for Jesus in the Bible. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.